Hello, hello, and welcome back to All Plotted Out, a My Little Pony Friendship is Magic podcast, where we are trawling our way through the later seasons of the show, episode by episode, in capsule review, styley. Well, sort of. You can't say I'm not reviewing them. Today we close in on the end of this momentous season by looking at the episodes Road to Friendship and The Washouts. But before we do, it's a rare and special occurrence. We have post. So, hi Ed. Okay, just wanted to say I heard your podcast for the first time the other day. You are wrong about surf and or turf. Ah, at last. This is what I was looking for. It is an episode that means a lot to a lot of people, and I don't know if you were just being cruel or contrarian for the clicks. What clicks? Also, editing. By turns, overzealous, so sounded like that bit in The Simpsons where Homer's TV interview gets edited, and lazy, so it sounds like the croaking rhapsody of a sleeping drunk. Also, you don't seem to know what the capsule review is. You seem to assume people want to hear a solitary person talk at them about why their favourite episode stinks for 30 to 40 minutes at a time in brazen contradiction of the standard laws of good podcasting. And you're probably on a list and or a cocoa shunter. I'm cooking risotto for lunch on Sunday. If you're still coming, would you like bolotti or kidney beans? Love, Mum. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Well, thanks, Mum. Uh, kidney beans, please. I like to pretend I'm working class. <laughs> what happened to this show? By the way, that was your added content for this episode, so I hope you enjoyed that little skit. Uh, where your weakness is your armour, as they say. Anyway... Road to Friendship was first aired September the 1st, 2018, and was written by Josh Haber. Say no more. Well, I will say that his last episode wasn't amazing, it wasn't bad, but Josh Haber usually, usually pretty reliable. It gets a, yeah, pretty spiffy 8.1 aggregate score on IMDb, where the synopsis reads, when Trixie is invited to bring her magic show to the far-off land of Saddle Arabia, she can think of no pony better to bring along than her great and powerful assistant Starlight. But not all friends are meant to travel together. That's a nice synopsis. When you cut it down to its core, this episode is incredibly simple. Two friends stuck figuratively together, get on each other's nerves, and then make up again. That's it. There's no B-plot. All money is down on that specific dynamic. And if I'm honest, it's all the better for it, because this is this, this is a great episode. <laughs> I was looking forward to this one. Might be the most Josh Haber-ish episode I've ever seen. I get the idea that sort of the the Trixie and Starlight relationship is is kind of his his baby, as it were. Um, So I think he loves writing for these characters, and he does so very wittily, uh, charmingly, brings out nice nuance to both of them, as well as being her typical self-aggrandizing self. 
Trixie does show a little more light and shade that she is actually capable of her empathising. Her lack of empathy was very much a criticism by some quarters of uh, All Bottled Up, uh, which is an episode I really liked, but I can see where they're coming from. And Starlight, while well-meaning, can also be equally thoughtless. People put out of their comfort zone just really can be. Until you know the impact of a certain circumstance on someone else, you, you might not actually know uh, how they'll react or suspect any sort of adverse reaction. So it's 22 minutes of entertaining bickering in glorious technicolor. And glorious to look at this episode certainly is. My goodness, they've put an awful lot into it here. Not just the vast array of, of detailed and colourful backdrops. A lot of them are populated with different character types. There's all sorts of background and foreground action. From the little scorpions crawling across the desert. To the couple of male ponies falling out in the foreground at the swamp. To that absolutely packed out saloon they go to. And the gorgeous Glopaz Festival. Which, I don't often mention this, was also a scene in which I noticed how amazing the sound design is. Because it really is. I mean, a lot of the time it's testament to the show that you never think something is out of place or that uh, there's a disconnect between the... the, Well, rarely uh, do you feel there's a disconnect between the, the characters and their dialogue or what the characters are doing or what environment they're in and what, and what you're hearing. But I just noticed in this... Just even the, the different levels of reverb and echo and, and dryness uh, applied to the dialogue between when they're in this sort of cramped caravan and when they're outdoors in this sort of vast arid desert where there's a slight echo off the buildings but it's very dry sounding. Sorry, this is uh, probably not that interesting but really about time I gave proper due to the sound design in this show. It's fabulous. What's nice about this episode is that it doesn't lead off with the obvious, oh, we are going to have a great time. (gasps) Who'd have thought there'd be adversity in this difficult scenario? They are kind of wary, and they are being mindful of the things that might get on each other's nerves. Trixie admitting that, yeah, maybe it is going to be a little bit small, the caravan to be travelling together in for the duration... Starlight patiently, allowing Trixie to wait endlessly in line for a a product that could be seemingly easily got much more quickly elsewhere. They start out knowing that compromise will be required. They know each other by this point, and they're certainly not blind to what might annoy each other about each other. But there's never any question that they are friends, and it will ultimately repair itself. From the one angle, you might say, well, this makes it a rather undramatic episode in a lot of ways. But I would say, no, I, I like this kind of, uh, <laughs> I hesitate to say, this um, sober uh, appreciation of just the trials and tribulations of a standard friendship. After a certain point, you know that there's going to be things that you're going to fall out about. But you also know you're going to come back together again. And the telling of that in itself, I think it inspires a great deal of hope to any difficult friendship that nonetheless is worth at its core maintaining. They are both trying in this. It's just... (laughs) Circumstances and personality quirks conspire against the relationship. Really well constructed in terms of its build-up, 
It doesn't feel like it rushes to the point where they're on each other's nerves. It's just a gradual accretion of annoyances combined with lack of sleep and lack of resources and confinement. I think we can all remember. In summer, winter, spring and fall, we're friends throughout the year. We're on seasons yet to come. Our friendship will be here now. We are so tight, we can't lose ก็ไม่ได้มีใครเข้าใกล้กันเท่าไหร่ก็ไม่ได้มีใครเข้าใกล้กันเท่าไหร่ก็ไม่ได้มีใครเข้าใกล้กันเท่าไหร่ก็
Kathleen Barr as Trixie. We've, it's about time we talked about Kathleen. It's about time we talked about Trixie. Not only does she have this great thickness to her voice, the twists she adds to certain lines, is, is, uh, she's just got such a natural feel for, for the comedic potential of lines and characters. Since you're so concerned about space, you can have it all! Sleep under the stars, where at least the wild animals will be quieter than you! Perhaps unsurprising that Kathleen Barr has been in the industry for eons. She has 334 credits on IMDb. She started doing um, anime dubs in the in the 1980s. Uh, ran my half and some other things I confess I've not heard of. My knowledge of anime is not super, so you'll have to forgive me there. But then she moved into more mainstream American animated television, with credits in uh, The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. It was Mama Robotnik. Oh, wow. If you marry her, I promise I'll make you regret it! Beavis and Butthead. There was a Mega Man series in the 90s? But perhaps her most well-remembered role from this era was as Dot Matrix in Reboot, which is a show that uh, ran for four seasons, spread from 1994 to 2002. Very different characters, uh, which is very much to, to Kathleen Barr's credit. Oh, Enzo, slow down. Now let me get this straight. The package from Megabyte is a bomb? And Bob has no idea. I see what you mean. We've got to warn Bob. Well, there's still a Bob to warn. Also, not new at all to My Little Pony, having appeared in a lot of G3 media, uh, variously as Kimono, Sweetberry, Sweetberry? I don't know, I've never seen it. Island Delight, Cloud Climber. Are these just, are these just AI-generated pony names? <laughs> Uh, my apologies to My Little Pony collectors. I'm sure you will actually know who these are. I'm being very crass and reductive. <laughs> Imagine that. Puzzle Mint. So and so. Spelt S-E-W and so. <laughs> and we should not forget that also in My Little Pony Friendship with Magic, she is the voice of one Queen Chrysalis. Again, a very different range and character. Deeper, more sinister, oddly more sensuous, perhaps. What plan? Why did you do all this? So I could feed, of course. By replacing the most beloved figures in Equestria, my drones will be able to store all the love meant for them and return it here to me. Pretty much, as I recall from her first appearance, uh, Trixie was a fan favourite. She was, she was always going to come back. I mean, uh, I remember when I first started watching the show, I, I knew a lot of folk who... Trixie was their favourite character, based on one episode. Not only the famous example of Satisto, the founder of uh, Equestria Daily, which he's still co-running to this very day, but also um, one of my friends through the fandom was massive into Trixie. And, well, you know, she had a cool design, certainly. A nice sort of dark blues slightly offsetting a lot of the more pastel colour ranges of the main characters. Just the arrogance and perhaps hint of danger represented by the character, I think people found very appealing. And it was articulated so well through, again, this sort of sort of phlegmatic 
um, delivery. You're perpetually riding with some disdain at the back of the mouth and throat. Don't believe the great and powerful Trixie? <laughs> well then, I hereby challenge you, pony villains. Anything you can do, I can do better. Any takers? Anyone? <laughs> or is Trixie destined to be the greatest equine who has ever lived? <laughs> She's unbearable. And I do recall um, uh, many prompts uh, on Twitter from fans saying, oh, when's she coming back? When's she coming back? And when uh, finally she returned in Magic Duel in season three, M.A. Larson, the writer of the episode, said, look, we, we always wanted her back. It was just a matter of finding the, the right home for her. I'm not huge on Magic Duel. It's funny, but it is kind of a... You know, it's 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 a fan pleaser episode that's not really doesn't really do much with the character. It's just Trixie is a jerk again and then leaves again. So it was a nice surprise, really, that she was reinstated wholeheartedly as a as a regular uh, from season six onwards. And the episodes with Starlight and Trixie are some real highlights of those later seasons, I feel. No second prances to wear and back again, all bottled up. These sort of represent the strengths, as I've said before, of the later show. And yeah, this episode is no exception. Stray observations. Oh, the meta gags. That nine seasons at least joke seems all the more oddly charming in retrospect. I mean, was that definitely the cut-off point when season eight and nine were commissioned? Are they just guessing? But, well, whatever, it seems to be certainly the way it went down. And these little asides are actually entirely apt to both the outside commentatorish feel that Starlight tends to bring, but also to the, the reference points that that song is drawing from. I mean, yes, it's it's easy to see the the parallels with the Road to Family Guy episodes, which are particular fan favourites, where Brian and Stewie go off on a quest together. There are musical numbers, there's bantering. It's understandable why they're really popular episodes. But both this and uh, Family Guy were based on the pre-existing model of the Road to movies uh, of the 40s and 50s, which saw a regular team of Bing Crosby, Bob Hope and Dorothy L'Amour going on a light-hearted, farcical trip somewhere. Again, there were musical numbers aplenty, you might expect so, certainly given uh, Bing Crosby being one of the leads, and a heavy reliance on fourth wall breaking and uh, in-jokes. So this sort of... Trixie saying something and then Starlight having a meta gag about it and vice versa. That's how the songs in these films worked, basically. For any villains we may meet, we haven't any fear. Paramount will protect us cause we're signed for five more years. We sir, certainly do get around. Like a complete set of Shakespeare that you buy at the corner drugstore for $1.98. We're Morocco bound. Or like a volume of Omar Khayyam that you buy at a department store at Christmas time for your cousin Julia. We're Morocco bound. Now, I've never seen any of these movies. But I can assume that they were deliberately fun, light-hearted, colourful trips with lots made of the uh, 
the different locations the characters would find themselves in and uh, lots of yeah, farcical peril. And if they were wanting to kind of capture this sort of classic all singing, all dancing Hollywood romp uh, feel, I think they, they really did it in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, at one point, Starlight says, since there's literally no room at the inns, uh, which is, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a funny gag, obviously, harking back to the... Uh, the nativity story from the Bible, lest you confuse that with the nativity story from the damned air comics. But uh, yeah, if I were to dig too deep into this, I could say, what, this universe has a Christ story? Did Celestia and Luna have parents that are established? Do I give a shit? No. Yeah, it looks like they had a return to the old uh, Spike Friendship Games trick that they played on the voice actor. If you remember in that episode, uh, <laughs> Spike's really awkward uh, failure to remember the lyrics to the game's anthem. Weirdly wonderbolts and we're super fast and we're club on clouds day old. We like it there because it's really nice and the trees are cool and I hope this is over now. And it keeps going on, la la la, and we really love the town. Uh, that was, as I understand it, um, completely improvised by Kathy Wesluck, just in order to give it that really awkward, unprompted effect, uh, with very funny results, I feel. And once more here, <laughs> it just seems like the two voice actors were encouraged to try and make up the same song on the spot. Oh, it's great. Also, whether Trixie is actually trying to say magic tricks or just magic Trixie. Uh, I don't know. I do like to think it's the latter. She, she is so self-absorbed that her standard uh, improvisation is going to be her name. Magic magic So, yeah... It's a rollicking road trip. Fast-paced, funny, and with two cool characters bickering. It's a good time. It's a good time. Nine. It's not over yet. And now it's another very different pairing that tends to have pretty pleasing results. The Washouts first aired September the 8th, 2018, and was written by Nick Confalone. Along with Josh Haber, another of the real solid late-season writers. Certainly one of the funniest. And again, somewhat symmetrically, it's a writer whose stuff I usually love, whose last episode was sort of... It was... I didn't feel it was necessarily up to his normal standards. Um, in Josh's case, it was the meltdown. I forgot to mention that. And Nick's, it was the breakup breakdown. Decent episodes, just, um, you know... So does this episode indicate a furtherance of this downward trajectory? Is Nick washed out? <laughs> no. Um, interesting. I think this is the first time that uh, Nick has actually dealt with either of these characters in the show, Rainbow Dash or Scootaloo. And yeah, I think he does it well. I mean, we've had some superb uh, RD and Scootaloo episodes over the years. Parental Glidance... Flight to the Finish, Sleepless in Ponyville. There is something fundamentally endearing about this dynamic. 
uh, probably because it, it just forces Rainbow Dash to try and overcome her her self-absorption and actually take on a, a parenting role. And it often sees Scootaloo actually acting as a teacher in some ways to Rainbow Dash for her more extreme elements. Now, I mean, I'm particularly talking about parental guidance with that. Where Scootaloo forced Rainbow Dash to look more clearly at her relationship with her parents and the value her parents had and not just sort of cast her. I never learned the to nice read. mirror she provided. And there's just with Scootaloo, there's the the fundamental tension between her dreams and the circumstances that might prevent her from, from realising it. Or maybe it's less the circumstances than the potential for her to doubt herself because of what she's been dealt. So it's weird, we're, we're back in season two at the beginning with uh, Rainbow Dash eavesdropping on the RD fan club in the clubhouse. And then it, uh, it gets subverted. Because the fan club is no more. Yeah, interesting. This is Nick Confalone's second episode this season. Um, he seems to be basically just entirely avoiding the whole school concept. Uh, treating treating this as if it's more or less just a continuation of season seven, circumstantially. So, once more, we just have the main six just lounging around town together, sticking together in a group like it was season one or something. Um, there's nothing technically wrong with that, but it's strange that that feels strange at this point. To just have an episode which is like Yakety Sacks, just the main six sort of moving round together as one synchronised unit with the same goals and the same plans for the day. And yeah, I mean, Nick's not actually that experienced at writing for the main six. It's absolutely fine here. He can push characters a little further than they normally would be. So, yeah, he plays into a lot of of the typical character tropes. Rainbow Dash is on the cusp of being outright unpleasant for a lot of this. But, hey, been there many times before. <laughs> and uh, Applejack's sort of minimal <laughs> contribution is to basically make a joke about apples. But, you know, it's funny. And it's framed in a funny way with that crash zoom that makes it seem very sinister. It'd be like if Apple Bloom started loving bananas more than apples. <laughs> Y'all tell me if that ever happens, you hear? Which just plays into the feel of the episode as a whole. It's just slightly extreme. Just like the washouts. So, the washouts. The perhaps inevitable, but certainly for me, welcome return of lightning dust. Her first and I believe last appearance up to this point was in season three's Wonderbolt Academy, which is a great episode, as I recall. A surprisingly brutal conclusion uh, as well, uh, where they stuck to their guns, I think, and uh, decided to have Lightning Dust really unceremoniously stripped of her rank and chucked out of the Wonderbolts. You can't help but feel a little sorry for her. And yeah, on that thousand-piece jigsaw I've got, she looks really sad. But you know, here, when life gives you apples, make the apples crumble. I'm sure you can make that joke work in your head. But I, I love the scene where she unmasks herself after we've met the, uh, the other two members of the washouts. It's kind of cool, like, 
scarred, blasé Australian pony, and uh, this this tidy ball of, of passive aggressive rage. <laughs> Don't call me knucklehead. Uh, it's just it's a wonderful sort of jumping off point for the the themes of the episode where it has the shot Cake. side on rainbow dash and lightning dust facing each other off lightning dust rainbow dash scootaloo i'm scootaloo hi just kind of coming up from below the screen with her hand waving while ostensibly about her this is about a bit more than that. And she's always in the background of the conflict, even though, again, it is ostensibly about Scootaloo's well-being uh, against her right to be who she wants to be, make her own mistakes, express herself, etc. And again, we have the two passing her between each other, literally and figuratively seeking to take her under their wing. And yeah, that's the, the basic backbone of the episode. It's Rainbow Dash's overprotectiveness, Basically, all but guaranteeing that Scootaloo will rebel and want to do her own thing. There's a lovely, mature exchange between Twilight and Rainbow Dash. Another actual good background role for Twilight in this is the sort of the gentle guide, which is kind of what she should probably be at this point. Just kind of reflecting the situation back on Rainbow Dash. Are you sure this is all about Scootaloo? And it's uh, just at the point where Rainbow Dash is at the risk of, of becoming unbearable. Truly hoof-in-the-faceable. She does start questioning herself. And it is always nice, I think, that for all of her extremes, for all of her annoying conceits and childishness, that when the chips are down, she actually knows what to do as a coach and in some ways as a, as a guardian or parent it, it's a nice little continuation of this some aspects of Rainbow Dash will never change but they will be leavened with experience yeah, I really like this episode I mean not only is it is it very funny not only are the the extra characters welcome additions or in the case of Lightning just re-editions it just digs really nicely into a, a rich and complicated relationship that Scootaloo and Rainbow Dash have, which started out as sort of fandom and distant admiration and has gradually, unavoidably become something that has more responsibility to it and that has the weight of expectation on it. I can't pretend, though, that I'm that chuffed with the resolution I don't think it quite works, given what's been built up. I think it too neatly allows Rainbow Dash to be the hero, Lightning Dust to be the villain, and Scootaloo to be kind of fine with this, the way the situation pans out. Because, um, I don't know, it's it's an episode that actually has a fair bit of, uh, of nuance to it in terms of the characters having different motivations behind what they're doing. And sort of reacting and recalling through through hurt more than anything else you know rainbow dash being fundamentally suspicious of lightning dust wanting to dislike her and and uh, lightning dust basically wanting to stick it to the wonderbolts and rainbow dash in a lot of ways by reshaping scootaloo in this direction but she's not overtly 
evil or anything in this. Which is why the scene where she basically says, ah, it's too late, and then forces Scootaloo physically to do this dangerous trick, just setting Rainbow Dash up for an easy, easy win by rescuing Scootaloo from presumably certain death. I honestly think it would have worked a little more effectively and allowed Scootaloo a bit more agency if Scootaloo basically said no um, and tried to get away and then lightning dust just guilt-tripping Scootaloo. You are destroying the show. How dare you come up here and do this? So it is still all about the show and all about sticking it to the Wonderbolts. But she's not turned into some, you know, moustache-twirling villain all of a sudden. And it would give a bit more of a chance, I think, for, I don't know, a, a bit more of an interesting scene with, with Scootaloo and, and Dash, I think. And this might seem like I'm, I'm putting unreasonable expectations on something like this uh, again, but I don't think I am, because the rest of the episode is just... It, it's, it is far more interesting than this finale, which just seems a bit cheap, and I, I don't think Rainbow Dash should have been allowed to be the hero that easily. I wish it was Scootaloo's choice. And it did have an emotional cost, rather than just, ha ha, told you you were wrong, Scoot, and Scootily being like, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not the only thing that's a bit off about the finale either. Um, it's not even probably in the script, but having the main six cheering for Scootaloo doing this death-defying stunt, why? Like Applejack going, yeah, woo, certain death to this little girl. It's a bit mad, isn't it? But yeah, that's that's a, just a minor nitpick, really. Stray observations. Now, in spite of their efforts, this was a show that was never permitted to show any overt LGBTQ content at all. But here, it's this represents one of the most clever get-arounds of this. Where one of the washouts, who at this point is is, is obscured by a, a a mask, you can see you can see the very uh, feminine-looking eyes. Though she winks at a member of the audience, uh, a mayor, and the mayor just faints. Ah, oh. in true fangirl style. But because it's not really established visually or in the narrative yet that the character is decisively female. They kind of get around this. <laughs> it's very clever, really. The rainbow dash up the nose shot at the end of the cold open. Um, yeah, that's a... <laughs> yeah, I've not really got much to say about that. It's just... Uh, I'm a big fan of curse-free, but pretty much devastating insults. Because I think the worst insults you can fire at people don't actually need to have that as dressing. And Lightning does when she's speaking to Rainbow Dash, referring to Scootaloo by saying, Oh, isn't she that pony that used to respect you? Ouch. It can be very difficult to articulate genuinely hurtful comments in a children's show for understandable reasons. But yeah, this is that's uh, pretty, pretty cutting. Scootaloo kind of gyrating and making those like yipping sounds while while Rainbow Dash and Lightning Dust are speaking. It's 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 one of the weirdest weirdest things in the show. It's quite funny because you know it's just an articulation of excitement, but it's so strange. I'm pretty sure that's not even Scootaloo's voice actor. I think that's just some random animal sound effects they've got. It's so odd. Oh. 
Okay. And last but not least, Spitfire is great in this episode. You end up in a full body winging hoof gas, drinking through a straw. But with enough practice. Practice? Well, I did do da Just allowing the voice actor to let rip and uh, lean into some very funny dialogue. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. So, yeah. Another really good episode, this. I was really gearing up for a for a nine again until the just slightly disappointing resolution. I wrote it in my notes. 8.5. But then... It's the Scootaloo Fan Club! Yeah! Come on! <sighs> All right, nine. Stupid, cute TV show. Got any problems, troubles, conundrums, or any other sort of issues, major or minor, that I, as a good friend, could help you solve? So, yeah, the poll around a couple of school-based episodes, The Hearthswarming Club and Friendship University. But who was head mayor? And the answer is... Drumroll, please. Inconclusive. There's one vote for The Hearthswarming Club. Which, yeah, I, I, I agree with, but... Hardly a, a robust body of evidence. Wouldn't build a thesis around it. But the whole swarming club is awesome. So yeah, please vote this time for which you feel is the better episode. Road to Friendship or The Washouts. You can vote on Twitter, at All Plotted Out, or underneath the show notes on Spotify. If you'd like to say a little bit more, just like Mumsy at the start there, you can email allplottedout at outlook.com. That's all one word, all lowercase, allplottedout at outlook.com. Or don't, you know. Just thanks for listening. Always appreciate it. Hope you'll join me again. But until next time, stay safe, stay well, stay tolerant, and stainless steel delicatessen. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't really think of one. But I was listening to a James Bond podcast this week and was reminded of that bizarre and stupid line where the Blofeld lookalike begs with Bond by offering him a delicatessen in stainless steel. And nobody ever seems to have satisfactorily deduced what the hey that means. Ta-ra! Maybe the later books are slightly more realistic than I gave them credit for.